Well, welcome back to the Someone to Tell To podcast. Always good to have you with us. Uh, I think we've mentioned this a lot in the last couple of episodes, but we just had a lot of people who've been sending us private messages or having conversations with us just about some of our most recent episodes and just how much they've me- meant to them. And, um, you know, just we hope that we're, we're talking about some really relevant subject matters. And we know that we've been talking about equal rights and we've talked about some of the the most current events in the news and and we think it's important for us to to create a space where those those conversations can be had in today's episode though we kind of take a little bit of a different direction where we talk more about just leadership and leadership in general and uh, for those of you who are in leadership positions we think that you're gonna you're gonna appreciate a lot of what our, our guest has to say today. So in, in our book, we had written this story about uh, a conference that Michael and I had attended here in central Pennsylvania on leadership. And here's kind of what we, we wrote in one of our blogs as a result of, of that leadership conference. In his popular book, Now Discover Your Strengths, Marcus Buckingham writes, Unfortunately, most of us have little sense of our talents and strengths, much less the ability to build our lives around them. Instead, guided by our parents, by our teachers, by our managers, and by our psychology's fascination with pathology, we become experts in our weaknesses and spend our lives trying to repair these flaws while our strengths lie dormant and neglected. Instead of being experts, we say, in weakness, we strive for everyone to become experts in living a life in which we all know that we are valued and appreciated. We hope you hear that message today. When that innate hunger is satisfied, just imagine how much more joyful and peaceful this world could be. So we attended this seminar with a keynote speaker um, who talked extensively about some of his learnings as a, a dog sled captain i guess you could call him a captain or a leader a trainer, his trainer trainer and so he spoke about this this deep love that he had for his alaskan husky dogs and alaska itself and he shared how he had traveled in the state extensively and had participated in the classic annual alaskan sled dog race the iditarod and then at one point he uh, he made this point during his, his presentation that we we just we we it, we just immediately appreciate what he had to say and he started describing each of the huskies on his team and and what his dogs have taught him about life and leadership as he spoke about each one of them by name he listed each one of their most special attributes such as one's energy another's patience another's stamina another's sense of direction he also listed each of their individual characteristics such as one being easily distracted another one being aloof another a bit skittish and another's nervousness. And so then when he described each husky, he discussed their strengths. And then he would say, but here are his weaknesses. Here are her flaws. But instead, he actually said, these are his strengths. And there are other aspects of her personality. And it was a subtle distinction, but it spoke volumes with his choice of words. He wasn't saying that the dogs had their weaknesses. He was saying instead that they simply had unique and different characteristics from one another. He was saying that each dog was unequaled, that each dog offered distinctive attributes that attended and added something valuable to the team. He was saying that each dog had gifts that were important and that mattered. And so we we thought that that um, was a, a... an appropriate illustration for today's conversation about seeing each other and in our strengths. And our guest today, uh, Dr. Kelly Waltman, addresses that in, in saying that we we all have strengths; that every one of us has gifts to offer and to give. And it how important it is, especially for leaders, to recognize that, not to look at people and put them in boxes or label them as, you know, as, as maybe even as difficult or are not as smart or, or not as good. But, but a leader's responsibility is to, is to identify and nurture the strengths that every person on the team has. 
And we really agree with that because we, we believe, we approach everyone we talk with and especially everybody we listen to as someone who can teach us something, someone who has a gift or many gifts uh, to offer to us and to the world. And we just think that when you um, approach life that way and people that way, th- uh, we, we just learn so much and so many we just see so many more good things that are possible so well said thank you so with over 20 years of experience developing and delivering curricula dr kelly waltman has a passion for helping individuals learn and grow from the classroom to the boardroom she has designed content for groups of all sizes She also brings over a decade of managerial and leadership experience to her work, holding director-level positions with previous employers and serving as a board member for local nonprofit organizations. In addition to her work with SLR Leadership Consulting, based in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Kelly founded She Leads and Reads, a monthly book club, and content curation site focused on personal and professional development books. Kelly holds advanced degrees from Shippensburg University of Pennsylvania and a PhD from Temple University. Well, Kelly, welcome to the Someone to Tell To podcast. So good to have you with us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited to be here. I'm excited to be, to be talking with you both. This is a real treat. Yeah, for us too. Yeah. Well, as we start today, we'd just love for you to tell us a bit more about yourself beyond the introduction that we, we just gave a few moments ago. Sure. Yeah. Um, So I'm the founder and CEO of SLR Leadership Consulting, and our work is really focused on team culture. I know when you hear leadership consulting or coaching, that can really run the whole gamut of, you know, what the focus is. Um, for us, it really is about team culture and, and the team dynamic and setting leaders and teams up for success. Uh, me, individually, I really focus on helping leaders and teams get comfortable with feedback. That's one of my big areas is feedback and communication. Um, and we also work with emotional intelligence. We can do assessments and, and bring in emotional intelligence into the coaching. Uh, but that's really where our work and, and my work are really situated in that, that team culture, um, communication, and feedback space. What... Um... What made you interested in all of this? What brought you to doing this professionally? Yeah, um, you know, it's been an interesting 20 plus year journey. uh, And this really is a culmination for me of this kind of winding journey that I've had, both in terms of, so training, educating, that's always been part of, of what I do. Um, when I was a little kid, I was in, you know, future teachers of America. I always wanted to be an educator. Um, and so it's funny how we end up, you know, (laughs) in these spaces, uh, years down the road. So for me, educating professional development, training, those have always been a part of what I've done. Even if my job hasn't particularly been necessarily oriented towards training or educating, that's always found its way into my responsibilities. And as far as the leadership piece, um, you know, I've been fortunate throughout my career also to, to be in leadership positions, and I've also experienced amazing leaders. I've had those leaders that just inspire you, and they make you feel like you can take on the world, and you can do anything, and they challenge you in these great ways. And I've unfortunately also had some toxic leaders, so those leaders who you know, who make you feel less than who, I mean, I know technically nobody can make you feel anything, but you ultimately, that's how you feel. You know, you feel diminished. You feel like you're questioning your abilities and it really, you get that, that knot in your stomach. And so having seen the power of amazing leadership, leadership and those leaders that inspire you and also the potential for that negative toxic environment, I really just felt compelled to kind of bring together all of my experience and my passion for leadership and the power of communication and help leaders and teams have, have that better communication. Well, this is a topic that we care very, very deeply about here at Someone to Tell It To. Uh, it's, it's, it's important to us to build a, a, 
a team that just enjoys being around one another and working towards a common goal, a common objective. And we've heard that it's been said that to build a strong team, we must see someone else's strength as a complement to our weakness and not as a threat to our position or authority. What are, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly that with the former that, you know, we should see other people's strengths as, as this positive, as this way, yes, to, to build up um, our strengths, the strengths of a team. You know, I find it really fascinating when leaders see someone else's strengths as a threat. You know, I just find that so interesting and fascinating because I mean, it's impossible for us to know and be everything and to be great at everything. That's just, that's just not possible. And so, you know, a great leader is going to be able to identify their own strengths and weaknesses. And we often maybe need some help identifying our own strengths and weaknesses. And that's okay. We're not always the best judges of our, of our own, uh, maybe character or, or flaws. Um, so, but, but being able to get help in identifying those and then to be able to say, okay, these are the areas that, that I should and will continue to work on. But these are the areas that this is somebody else's skill. This is their zone of genius. And so I'm going to help them grow that. And I'm going to see that as a benefit because it's not only going to help them grow and flourish, which I should want to do as a leader, but it's also going to help our team grow and flourish. And ultimately, that's going to make me look even better as a leader. I don't need to have all the answers. You know, if I surround myself with people who can complement those areas that aren't my strengths, that's going to make me look all the better. And so I, I find it really interesting when, when people aren't able to do that. Um, honestly, it takes a lot of pressure off us as leaders if we're willing to, to recognize that and, and help other people complement those areas that aren't our strengths. Because again, we can't be great at everything. We just can't. We might want to think we're perfect, mm-hmm. but but we just, we, we can't be. But where does the mm-hmm. idea come from that we need to be great at everything? I mean, there is this feeling, especially among leaders, that we have to have all the answers. We have to be the wise ones to know everything and be able to give a, a solution or, or fix a problem, you know, for, for everything. Uh, where does it come from? You know, that's a great, it's a great question. I think um, it is this, I think, well, twofold. One, I think when you have people who are maybe moving from the entrepreneur space to now they're leading a team, I think it can be tricky for those that are in that realm. They're so used to having to do it all. So, you know, now that they're moving into leading a team, it's a whole different skill set to be able to delegate and Um, work with a team rather than have to do it all. So, and in that sense, it kind of makes sense because you're used to having to do it all. And so now you have to transition. But but for people who aren't in that space, um, I I don't know exactly where that comes from, this need to to feel like, well, if I'm the leader, I have to have all the answers. Um, I think some of it is we just don't want to appear vulnerable. Like if we, you know, if people are coming to me, I should be able to lead them. And I think we, we feel that leading means knowing all, but really it's about being able to, to shepherd and work together to find the solution um, and being able to do that effectively. Um, you know, Liz Wiseman describes this really well in her book, Multipliers. If people haven't read that, I highly recommend you read it. Um, And she talks about how the really great leaders are able to tap into those unique strengths of each team member. And they also recognize that each team member does have some strength. They are smart and strong in some areas and and not saying, okay, well, these three people, they're really good. These three people, not so much. No, it's about finding those areas. Like we're all good at something. We all have our strengths. We're all smart in some capacity. So really great leaders are able to recognize each of the strengths that each person brings to the table. And then they help them grow and cultivate that. Um, And those leaders who aren't able to do that, those leaders that feel like they have to know it all, solve all the problems, make decisions unilaterally, those are the diminishers. And they not only are going to diminish an individual team member's capability and capacity and productivity and morale, that's going to have that ripple effect effect for the whole team. And so 
you know, again, I, I, I don't know exactly where it comes from, this need to feel like we, we know it all and we can do it all and be it all. But what we know is that truly great leaders are willing to humble themselves and bring out the best in their team members. Um, and again, in her book, she talks so much about that multiplier versus diminisher um, and just how powerful it is when leaders are able to multiply the talents and, and the the productivity within their within their team members you know we're a, we're a package deal uh, all of us are and so we have pros and there's also we would say another side of of who we are and for every strength there's there's also a downside to a strength so i just think it's a, it's an important way of looking at things that we we again we are just a package deal there's a lot more to us than uh just one thing yeah earlier um, you mentioned uh, the, the word feedback. And uh, we want to know what, two questions here, two parts to this question. Why do we fear receiving feedback? And why do we also fear giving feedback? <laughs> yeah, they do go hand in hand. And I, I love talking about this topic. I could talk about feedback all day. Uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a fun topic for me. Um, and, you know, it's, it's so interesting because Research shows that that almost all of us, almost 100% of us would agree that that we want feedback and we need feedback. You know, feedback is important for growth. That's how we grow. We all say that. And even and survey research shows that 98% of, of people uh, surveyed say that they will fail to be engaged at work if they don't receive feedback. And that's true, you know, positive and critical. It's not like people just want the pats on the back. They want to know how they could do better. So we all say this. Um, but we know that we still all fear feedback. You know, as much as we say we want it, we're really uncomfortable with it. Um, and other research shows that less than a quarter of the American workforce says they're actually receiving feedback. Even though we all want it, we're not actually receiving it and we're not actually giving it. And so, you know, there's a few reasons why we fear receiving feedback. Um, first and foremost, it, it triggers our, our ancestral uh, survival instinct, that self-preservation survival instinct. We are hardwired, you know, based upon our early ancestors to rely on our standing in the tribe. You know, there was a very long period of time where our literal survival was dependent upon our standing in the tribe. And so now in our modern day society, we, you know, our tribe is our family, our workplace, you know, these, this is our tribe. And when we're receiving that critical feedback, that, that survival instinct kicks in because we fear, uh oh, you know, this is criticism. This means this is threatening my standing in the tribe. They're disappointed in me. And so th it's, it's a normal response for us to have that initial kind of defensive mechanism, that initial response, because it's, it's kicking that, that survival instinct into gear. And so that's, you know, at a, a very basic level, why we all tend to get, you know, a little bit nervous, a little uncomfortable when we start to receive that, that critical feedback. And, you know, it's hard not to take it personally, you know, even if the person is doing a really good job and they're giving us feedback in an objective way, you know, not personally, they're really doing a good job. It's still hard not to take it personally. Uh, and, and some of that probably relates to that survival instinct as well. And yeah, we just don't want to disappoint people. And so it's, you know, we take that, we take that personally and it's a normal emotional response. Um, we also know that, that the negative negativity bias kicks in. So I think we all have talked about that before. You know, you can hear 10 positive things. Hmm. And then if there's one critical or negative thing, that's what we really tend to focus on. So we know when we leave these conversations, we're going to leave and probably ruminate on that negative thing. And so we're, we're coming in with that, that expectation and, and that discomfort. And so that, that negativity bias certainly comes into play as well. And ultimately it's, it's about vulnerability. Again, we talked about that a minute ago that, um, you know, that, that discomfort with being vulnerable, um, in all its forms. Um, and so that's true again, of both receiving feedback, it's a vulnerable position for somebody to be sharing this, this information with you. Um, and it's true of, of giving feedback as well. And it's, 
that fear of giving feedback is really rooted in that same place. Again, we worry about how they're going to respond. Are they going to take it personally? We know it's uncomfortable to be in that end of the conversation. And so we worry about how they're going to feel. Um, and again, it's all rooted in that same, that same discomfort with vulnerability. Um, we worry about that a lot. So let's talk about why, why do we tend to keep putting off those difficult conversations? Because I think in one of your blogs, you, you, you referenced like that we play out 50 horrible what if scenarios in our minds. What if, what if they get upset? What if they cry? What if they yell? What if they storm out? What if they quit? What if they don't like me anymore? Right. Uh, as sociologist, author, and researcher, Dr. Brene Brown, who we write about and quote, quote all the time, as do you, she says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And so why is this hard for us and what can we do to overcome it? Yeah, I think we all tend to do that, right? We all tend to think about when we have these difficult or uncomfortable conversations that are pending. We tend to think of all these potential you know, terrible scenarios of how they might respond. And I think it makes sense to, yes, to mentally prepare for a conversation, to, to get your thoughts in order, think about what you want to say, and maybe think about how they might respond in a, in a thoughtful way to prepare for the conversation. But you're right, thinking of all these terrible what-if scenarios in a way that that's kind of, we're using it almost as a justification not to have the conversation, that's not healthy. Um, you know, we, we, I think sometimes we think that if we just keep putting off the conversation, that's, that's the kind thing to do. Like, oh, well, you know, I'm giving them one more day without having had this terrible conversation. Uh, so we think we're being kind, but really we're not doing ourselves, that person or the team any favors. The longer we wait to have this conversation, we're carrying around this, this weight and this worry. They may not realize that what they're doing is problematic and it might be causing tension on the team. And so we we might think we're being kind by delaying this, but really we're not. As you said, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. By, yes, getting your thoughts in order and approaching the conversation in a professional, prepared way. Um, yes, do that, but go ahead and have that conversation. <clears throat> the longer we wait, the more we're subjecting that person to not knowing um, potentially that something's going wrong and we're, we're robbing them of that opportunity to sit down and have this conversation and work together to move forward and, and resolve the problem or, you know, improve a skill. Um, we're really not doing the kind thing because it really is, I think we would all want to know if, if we were doing something that was really detrimental, we would all want to know and so, yeah, the kind thing is to provide that feedback in a timely and respectful manner. Now, if we're, if we're going to be honest, we have to admit that uh, the, 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 these questions that were posed earlier, what if they get upset, cry, yell, storm out, quit, don't like us anymore? We've had that happen. We have had <laughs> I think that we happen. we all have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not often. You know, it's, it's just a couple of times. but. Yep. But just like all the good things that, that, that you know, that, that can happen and then one bad thing happens, you remember those bad things. So how do you, how does one respond when that does take place? That, right. That it doesn't keep you from, you know, just, just shutting, you just don't shut down and just never get feedback then because, because of that kind of response. Even if that happens, short of an incident of workplace violence, which would be, obviously horrendous, but short of that, even if the person gets upset, even if they cry, even if they walk out of your office, most likely you will still feel better because you had that conversation. If you continue to delay it and you continue to carry that weight around, you know, having that weight lifted off your shoulders that you finally had that conversation, you'll still feel better. And now you can process what happened and you can process and you can move forward. So Yes, it still doesn't feel good, but you can at least now you can move forward. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, sometimes that does happen and it and we it doesn't feel good. You know, you do feel bad that that, that it has gone that way. Um, but again, at least you've had the conversation and now you can circle back with that person. You know, say they go ahead and they, they storm out of your office um, because they need to cool off. 
um, give them some space to cool off, assuming again that, you know, maybe they've just, they're taking some time um, and there's no greater threat at play. We're going to assume that, you know, that they're just taking some time to cool off, give them that space and then say, okay, we, we do need to close this loop. I want to give you the space to, to process and to calm down. We do need to close the loop so that we can move forward together. Um, you know, let me know when you're ready to do so. If they aren't coming back to you, then you're going to have to say, okay, we really do need to close this loop. Um, are you in a space where we can have this conversation now? Um, would you feel more comfortable if you had somebody else for us to process this conversation? Um, I mean, really at the heart of it is going to be you need to circle back and continue that dialogue. Um, and don't just pretend like nothing happened. You know, you're going to need to, to address it, address the response, um, and find out what maybe they need in support to have that conversation in the most productive way. And then also get feedback from them later, after everybody's calmed down, after you've had a chance to, to have that dialogue ask them again, is there something I could have done to approach that conversation in a more productive way? Is there, you know, would it have been helpful to either have somebody there or um, is there something I said that maybe a way I approached it that triggered that response for you? How could we, you know, we need to have these conversations again moving forward. What's the most productive way we can do that? How can I help you feel safe to have those conversations? Um, you know, ultimately, if they're just an emotionally charged person, <laughs> you may need to talk about how they can can process things more effectively. And that's a skill they need to work on. Um, but it really is just about having, continuing to have those conversations, be honest about the way the conversation went and how you can meet them where they are to have those conversations in the most productive way moving forward. This conversation is bringing up PTSD for us. I think. Oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think we'll just hire you out next time. Yeah. We have to have those hard conversations. <laughs> there you go, because you seem to know how to do it yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> can, can you just videotape yourself and we'll just put you yeah. Yeah. It's oh. funny you say that because, you know, um, in thinking about those putting off the conversations, one of my coaching clients was, was in that space and, and we were, co I was coaching her through how to have the conversation. And she's like, it sounds so good when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But we're sure you yeah. probably had your moments too, where you're oh, like the sure. rest of us just learning and, and yeah. just, you have to, and it's hard to even argue that practice is going to make perfect because every situation is going to be different. And Absolutely. Every person's going to react differently, too. Yeah. And, Absolutely. But, you, but I think you are right, in spite of, uh, despite the fact that maybe it's going bad and somebody's stormed out or, or whatever, there is a weight that's lifted. Mm -hmm. Even so, okay, fine. Okay, we got that. It's out there now. We're not just carrying that, stressing over it. We've now been able to put that on the table. And that, that, it, that does help too. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. And I think if we, as leaders, when we're approached or not, not necessarily in a leadership role, it could be peer to peer. You know, if we have maybe messed up the way we handled that conversa conversation, it's okay to own that too. Again, it's about that vulnerability. It's okay to say, you know what, in hindsight, maybe we shouldn't have had this conversation at four o'clock in the afternoon, or maybe we shouldn't have done, I, I have learned from this. I've taken a valuable lesson from this on how I can do this better next time. So we still needed to have the conversation and the content of the conversation is still valid. However, I, I can recognize I could have handled the situation better. And I've, I've learned from that and I'm going to continue to work on how I can do this better next time. Um, there's nothing wrong with owning that, owning the lesson. Um, and I think people respect that. It doesn't detract from the feedback that you needed to give. It's just saying that you're learning and growing too. And, and as you said, it's, it's not that practice is going to make perfect because we will still get it wrong sometimes. Or we, maybe it wasn't even wrong, but we could do it better. Um, that's part of the human experience. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's okay. If we come with the best intent and we do the best that we can in that situation um, and we learn and grow from it. That's really all we can do. What about in the midst of the pandemic, how to have these conversations when you're not face to face with people? It definitely makes it trickier. Um, I think for some people, it's actually easier for them to receive feedback if 
you're maybe in like in a Zoom situation where you're still face to face, or maybe if you're not sharing video and it is just voice, for some people that's actually easier. Um, but you're right, some people may receive that as you're not giving your your full effort, or um, they 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 view it as uh, a less than scenario if you're just doing just doing uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> in their mind a phone call. Um, I think you you do the best that you can with with what you have the situation you're given. So if you are, you know, in a pandemic situation, or you just have a remote workforce all of the time, and you're separated by thousands of miles then see if you can do a video call and and at least see one another's face. Um, If you really can't do that, then, then you do a voice. Um, The one thing I would not say is do not do it over email. Mm. Uh, (laughs) That, you know, so, you know, yes, if you can be in person, that's great. If you really can't do your best, like you said, to, to at least see one another's face, you can see your nonverbals, you can, can share that. Um, if you really can't do that, then at least a conversation, you're, you're having that real-time conversation. Um, I think people are, are likely more understanding when you're either thousands of miles away or in a pandemic that you really just can't be in the same space. And, and even again, just acknowledging that, just say, you know, we would normally want to do this in person in the same room. Yeah. We believe that that's the, the best way to do this. I, that shows you the most respect that would be our ideal scenario. Unfortunately, we can't do that right now. Unfortunately, this is the we're making the best of the situation and we're going to do it this way. But just know if we could, we would like to be in person because we we feel that you deserve that and and you know, we're just going to have to do the the best that we can in in this situation. But um just don't do it over email. That's mm. such a cop out. <laughs> that's, that's, oh, but that's it's so much easier. Way. It's so much easier. That's the, yeah, that's the coward's way. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you want to follow up with an email, if you've had, I will clarify that. If you've had a conversation with someone, um, particularly if it's somebody that, you know, Let's admit some people will manipulate a situation or some people are just difficult. Um, so if you've had a, a verbal conversation with someone um, or in person and this is somebody that has traditionally been a difficult employee and you need to follow up with an email and say, you know, following up from our conversation, you know, this is what we discussed. This is what we agreed upon. These are our agreed upon expectations um, for until the next time we meet. That is a okay. And that can be very helpful again if you just want to make sure expectations are very clear clear as kind um and or if you've had a a difficult situation following up in written communication spot on totally fine but handling the entire thing that way not advisable (laughs) hi i'm sharon and i'm pensy we are volunteers at wonders found thrift shop and proud sponsors of the Someone to Tell It To podcasts. Wonders Found is a totally volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We also support local missions and people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website mountcalvaryumc.org backslash wonders found or stop in to see what wonders you will find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard. God bless. So we're going to change, just kind of change course a little bit here. It's something um, that uh, we hope you'll like talking about. It's the fact that you have a book coming out in October 2021. It's called Elevate Connection, Cultivate an Engaged, Inspired, Productive, and Profitable Team Culture. And from what we know, it's already a bestseller due uh, to pre-order sales. And, and that is tremendous. Congratulations. So, yeah. So tell us what the book is about. Tell us why you wrote it. 
and tell us what it feels like, because we don't know this yet, <laughs> what it feels like to be a best-selling author. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. I mean, it's I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head uh, around the whole, you know, bestseller ranking. Um, I was, still am, definitely very overwhelmed. Um, you know, they, they say it takes a village to, to raise a, a child or a baby, and um, I, as you all know, it's, it takes a lot um, to, to write and publish a book. And a lot of times that feels like having a child, uh, bringing yes. a child into the world. Uh, mm-hmm. So I said, I joked also that, that coming up with the title for the book felt like naming my, my children. Uh, <laughs> there's all this pressure to get it, we to get it right. We understand a very, <laughs> very slight degree of that yeah. illustration. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So same with, with the book, you know, it definitely, uh, takes a village for sure. And I'm just very fortunate to have, have an amazing village that was very supportive. Um, but you know, in terms of the motivation for the book, for me, it really is an extension of all the other work that, that I've been doing and a way to, to share that message with a, with a broader audience. I really wanted to help educate leaders and teams, but especially leaders on the importance of communication and connection, um, and how that really does relate to, the organization's success. And then I also want to provide tools to do that. So it's not just about the education piece, but also providing tools on how they can, how they can elevate connection within the team. As we were just reading more about the book, and obviously we we can't wait to read it like everybody else, uh, you wrote that the research is clear. The quality of communication within an organization has a direct relationship to the company's success. Billions of dollars are lost each year due to ineffective communication, employee disengagement, and turnover. The researcher research also overwhelmingly shows that when employees feel connected to the bigger picture of the company's work, to the leadership, and to one another, they are more satisfied, motivated, and productive, and the business's bottom line improves. We've heard Dr. Brene Brown talk about this, and it, in a lot of ways, it's uh, leading from the heart. And why, why do you think it's been difficult for leaders to lead from the heart and most of us actually to understand the value, the bottom line value of deeper communication and connection? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think intuitively and inherently, we all know that communication is important. We all get it. You know, we all say, okay, yes, communication is important. Um, and, and some would even say leading from the heart. I mean, I think for some people, they think that that starts to feel too touchy feely and, you know, um, but I'm right with you. That's part of why I might should I call it the courageous leadership Academy because courage, you know, the root word is core, the Latin word yeah. for heart. So I I'm with you that leading from the heart isn't about being necessarily touchy feely. It's about having that courage and, and, you know, obviously, um, Brene Brown talks about that a lot as well, that idea of courage. And just like we all feel like we need to have all the answers and we need to know everything to be a great leader. We also think, okay, well, I need to be strong and I have to. And so if I'm leading from the heart, that sounds weak. And so does vulnerability, but really that is about courage and strength. And, um, I think also with, with communication, we have this tendency to think that, it's nice. It's something nice when we have the time to get to it. It's a bonus. You know, if we have effective communication, that's a bonus. We get so caught up in the deadlines and the to-do lists and the, and the putting out of fires and all that stuff that just, that demands our attention and becomes a higher priority based on what we think is necessity. We equate urgency, you know, with necessity, um, but if we all are willing to take a moment and take a step back and recognize that if we put in that effort and if we are intentional about communication and connection and we do that on the front end, our ability to meet deadlines and put out fires and meet quotas, that's all going to come more easily and more effectively because we put in that time on the communication. Um, that's really where the, the, the good stuff can happen. And, and again, I'm, not naive. It does take work and it takes energy to, to make sure that you are communicating effectively, um, that you do have that connection with your team members, that they're connected to the bigger mission and vision and the why of your organization and that they're connected with one another. That takes intention and effort, but 
it's well spent because again, you're going to see not only that people are happier and more satisfied and more productive, but that overall the agency, the organization, the team is going to be so much more productive and all those things that you're worried about now in the urgency are going to be done so much more effectively and efficiently because you've put in that time on the front end. So then, then why is effective communication often thought of as a quote unquote soft skill? I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so we, we, we have never, we have never liked that term. And, you know, we, we believe that communication, this is the business we're in, communication is, in a, is as essential as any other skill. And in fact, we think more so. So why, but, you know, our culture traditionally hasn't often seen it that way. No, it's a great point. And I don't really like that term either, soft skill. I prefer to say like human skill. I think that that's a better way to, <laughs> to, to conceptualize it. I think initially that term, came about because it was understanding that when you are in a job, when you have a position, there's, they would call them the hard skills, which were those technical skills, those things that are easily measured or fairly easily measured for um, competency. So those hard skills, those technical skills, but recognizing that there's more to being good at a job than just those hard or technical skills. So in thinking of what's the other way to put that, we started calling them soft skills. But again, we have this like negative connotation with soft as if it's, you know, um, exactly. yep. I don't know, it brings again, like that whole idea of like warm and fuzzy and touchy feely and, and, you know, almost like this, this, I don't know, non-essential. Um, and I think that's, again, just culturally how we, we tend to have these connotations. And, and, and again, I, I'm the same way. I don't necessarily like that term soft skill because of all the things that it brings to mind for people generally. Um, and so I agree. I think it's absolutely essential. And I'd, I'd much rather think of them in terms of, of human skills um, or social skills um, rather than hard and, and soft skills or technical skills and, you know, maybe human skills. But um, I think we're starting, people are starting to understand that they are, those human skills are essential. I mean, we know that when it comes to success, and particularly success for leaders, um, yes, IQ matters, but your EQ, your emotional intelligence quotient, matters just as much, if not more. And for a lot, for those, as you go up um, the traditional org chart, those social skills, human skills, emotional intelligence actually are a, a better predictor of success. IQ only gets you so far. So those hard skills, technical skills only get you so far. Being able to effectively communicate with others, be self-aware of your own emotional strengths and weaknesses and how to communicate and work with others is absolutely essential. I think you're spot on when you say it's an essential skill. So let's just talk a little bit about success then. I know on your LinkedIn profile, you had posted a, 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 a quote by Maya Angelou and we, we just absolutely love her and her writing. Mm -hmm. She once said that if you find it in your heart to care for somebody else, you will have succeeded. I guess that raises the question, what, is it, what does it mean to care for others on your team and, and to create a great team culture? Yeah, wow, that's a big, big question. <laughs> <Have fun. laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a good question. I think we could talk for an hour just about that question, um, but I won't do that to you. Um, but I think, yeah, I, we especially I think in our culture, we tend to have these very, very narrow definitions and visions of success. And so, yes, I love that quote by, by her as well. And I, I do think that being able to, I think that that really is the heart of leadership is demonstrating care for your team. I mean, that's really what it's about. You're supposed to want to help your team both individually and collectively grow because that's that's going to mean the overall success not only for those individuals and for you as a leader but your organization whatever organization you're leading um whether profit nonprofit, you're should be concerned about the success of that organization and so by caring for your individual team members and that means allowing them to show up as they are you know their whole selves letting them be people you know, that, that 
old management style of you come to work, you're here at work, you leave home behind. Um, you know, that's just how it's supposed to be. I don't care what's going on at home. You need to show up and do your job. You know, that, that doesn't fly. Uh, and thankfully that people are understanding that that's no longer feasible, appropriate. So letting people show up, letting them be themselves and helping them grow and learn. You know, that's where the feedback piece comes in, letting them know what they're doing really, really well and to continue doing that and letting them know, okay, these are areas where I see great potential in you. Let's talk about growing that and cultivating that and um, helping them have say in <laughs> what happens both in their trajectory as a, as a person, as a professional, but also in the team um, and working together with with everyone in the team, letting them be a valued member and, and contributing member to that bigger picture, that bigger mission. Um, that's what it means to me to think about caring for your team members as a leader and helping cultivate that culture um, that really is a positive workplace culture. That's great. Yeah, we could talk all day about yeah. that. I, <laughs> we'll, we'll just have to make another, uh, you know, uh, you know, another time to have another podcast with you, a conversation with you, and yeah, and I talk about that. what that means because <laughs> there's just so much to be able to say and um, so much to learn. Yeah, because actually, I think the root word of the word care means to lament, which is, I mean, we think there's a lot of significance there to what does it mean to lament with your team uh, about maybe their personal situations maybe they experience a significant loss and and what does it mean as a leader to enter into that pain and that sorrow and that suffering well, kelly it's obvious that you are passionate about what you do about uh the, the work that you provide and the and the wisdom that you share and it that it brings you a lot of joy and uh, we're, we're um, well, you know, we love that. And we love to hear that. We love to see that, witness it. And, but we also want to ask you, as we close today, just uh, what, what about in your personal life? You know, t- tell us something that, uh, you know, that in, in your life outside your work, that where you find your joy. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, and thank you. And yes, I do. I'm definitely very passionate about it. <laughs> I could yeah, talk with you both all day. Um, for sure, my family. Um, I would say, you know, if I had to pick like the top three things that bring me joy, family, books. I'm, I read incessantly, both fiction, nonfiction, um, and nature. You know, if I could get, I well, I get out and spend time on trails as much as possible, hiking, running, backpacking, if I could be on a trail. But if I could be with my family in a campsite, I'm hanging in a hammock, reading a book while my family's around me. That's like heaven on earth for me. That's, 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 that's pure joy. Um, right there with you. Yeah, that's great. For sure. uh, we share a lot of those same things. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I know, know Michael and I, we've been together uh, a couple times here in, in recent weeks. And just the season of spring is just, it's miraculous in so many ways. Yes. It just surprises us every year. You forget how beautiful it is after a long winter. But Michael, I know, has been you know f- famous for, for reminding all of us that uh, it just comes and goes so quickly and you just have to cherish it. You have to relish it and, 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 and take the time and the space to enjoy the, the beautiful colors and the scents. And, you know, it, it just it doesn't last for too long. So it's just a good reminder for all of us to, to get out and, and, and to find those, those moments of joy and satisfaction. So thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Yeah it's, yeah, it's tempting to want to hang on to those moments, but there is something delicious about the, the fleeting nature of it. You know, if you can just take that moment and really cherish it and appreciate it, um, that's, yeah, it's pretty powerful. Well, Kelly, thanks for being your authentic self with us today and our yeah. listeners. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you again for tuning in with us today. We uh, know and and believe that you had a lot of takeaways as we did. And and I know as our leadership team continues to expand with someone to tell it to, we are always learning ourselves and we're recommending podcasts and 
books to others, we encourage you to get a copy of Dr. Kelly's book as it comes out here in the next few months. But another podcast host that we reference often, and you heard her reference in this, this program, was Dr. Brene Brown, whose work, voice, and messages we always love. And she had a two-part podcast that we both listened to more than once that was publicized on her uh, podcast series. And uh, to pick up the vast wealth of wisdom that she shared in each segment. And the series was entitled Armored Versus Daring Leadership. And in it, she spoke of her research on the common types of armor that we use to self-protect when, we, when we're in fear. So the fear of being a knower instead of a learner. The fear of avoiding hard conversations instead of learning how to lean in, which is exactly what we talked about today with Dr. Kelly. Using shame and blame to manage others rather than using accountability and empathy, also something that we referenced today. So we encourage you to tune into those two episodes. There's so much wisdom that Dr. Brene Brown has. And again, this is all about us trying to grow, how, uh, grow our capacity as leaders to become uh, better leaders and um, we, we know that that will happen as we as we learn together and we're so grateful for uh, for dr. Kelly Waltman today we uh, as we, we've said this many times about many guests and we, we just truly mean it and are very genuine about this we could have just talked with her uh, on and on and on and and we may just have to have another episode with her at some point because we find her easy to talk with and and in, enjoyable. She's got a lot of wisdom to share, and a lot of um, a lot of experience that she's had that that we appreciate very, very much. So we're we're glad that she could join us. We're also glad that you could join us today. We always appreciate our listeners. Are always grateful for each one of you who tune in, and who have come with open minds and open hearts and spirits. And um, are here to, to learn something, uh, maybe to be entertained, maybe to laugh a little bit, but, but uh, also to grow and, um, in knowledge and understanding. So um, we look forward to the next time that we can be together. And uh, we encourage you, if you like these conversations, that we encourage you to support us so that we can do more of them, so that we can continue reaching out to our guests, to, to find guests who are fascinating and and stimulating and challenging. And uh, if you'd like to do that, please go to patreon.com. You can uh, support the podcast series there on a number of different levels. We appreciate those who already do. Or you can go to our our just our website page and www.someonethatelitude.org. And there are, there are ways to contribute to support our work there too. And we hope that you will. So we thank you for being with us. Until we listen again. <laughs>